Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. Welcome, everybody, to the Apartment Operator Podcast. Today, we have Mandy with us. Mandy, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, usually, we start the conversation with giving our guest a few minutes to tell the audience a little bit about themselves, about their portfolio. Uh, when would you take a little bit and, and introduce yourself? Sure. I, um, Mandy McAllister. I'm out of Chicagoland, Illinois. Don't really love real estate investing right here. So the bulk of my investments are in Indiana, the Indianapolis area, and uh, we're under contract for an asset in uh, Northwest Indiana now. Um, I really started investing uh, in small multis. That's really my wheelhouse. Small meaning like four to 50 in that neighborhood. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of growth moving forward, where we're looking, I think there's meat on the bone in these uh, smaller multis. So, so that's what we like to own, what we like to operate, how we like to gain scale. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. So how big is your portfolio right now? Uh, 252 units all uh, in, if you include the 47 that we're under contract for. That's fantastic. And that's all from small properties. Uh, how uh, many yeah. properties is that? I'm so it's to ask. Um, one, two, three. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe a dozen or so. Okay. Um, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, if you do a small multi, you get quicker scale. But, um, you know, if you do a cluster of them, you get this economies of scale, you know. So um, I, I think that there's, uh, it's a kind of in multifamily, people tend to thumb their nose at smaller stuff. But what matters most to me is the cash flow. And I get a lot more in my bank account sometimes from a six unit than I do my 130 unit, you know. So. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's fantastic, right? You're the first guest we have that is having that point of view and I would love to dig deeper because uh, over the last few years that we've been doing multifamily, I'm kind of leaning towards what you're talking about right now, right? So we've done all the way up to 236 unit properties. And like you said, I can see my smaller ones performing better, but the more important part is we can turn the smaller ones a lot faster. Exactly. Um, The ease of implementation of that business plan on a, a 47 unit versus a 470 unit, it's, it's a very different animal, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely. So uh, that kind of guides us to the first question we ask everybody, are you self-managing or are you using third party? Third party in everything I own from my fourplex to the, to the you know, larger, small stuff. Okay, so right now you have third party. Is it one third party company that controls all your 250 units? Nope. So it's one, two, I have four total property managers and for the record, not all were created equal. (laughs) Okay. Then let's dive into that one. Um, Let's start with the decision to go third party and not in-house. Was that um, out of necessity? Was that an intentional? Is Mm -hmm. there any thoughts to change that? In terms of when I started, I, I, I started building a fourplex, a sixplex at a time, you know, 
and I was a, a full-time medical device sales rep. I've actually uh, just announced my retirement. So in 72 days, uh, I am no longer a W-2 employee. I'm solely a real estate investor. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Thank you. So that was, that's kind of out of necessity, right? And then when we started, you know, understanding that I don't love Illinois, I don't love the way we govern our state. I, I live here because of family, you know, but I want to invest my dollars where I really feel like the government is doing good things for bringing in jobs, bringing in growth of GDP so that that population continues to grow. And that for me equals Indianapolis. And I'm two, two and a half hours away from that market where I live right now. So, um, you know, only having, you know, call it a hundred units right there. Um, it makes sense to have a uh, third party. As soon as we scale up to maybe 300 or so is our goal to like reassess if it makes sense to, um, take some stuff in house. Mm -hmm. We'll reassess then, but we're, we're continuing to build that footprint in the Indianapolis area so that we can reach a point that we, it makes sense to, to bring something in house. Okay. So it is on the plans, right? It's mm -hmm. not an ideology of, I never want to do my own management. Uh, Cause we've seen that from a lot of our guests and it's kind of like, it's understandable. There's a lot of brain damage in, in property management. Uh, I, I say that from firsthand because we have our own property management company, uh, but it does give you a lot of control. So there's pros and cons either way. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you're dealing with four different property management companies. How do you pick one? How do you assess a property management company when it comes to taking over your properties? And mm -hmm. like you said, not all of them are equal, right? So Yes. So um, maybe I'll start with some hiccups that I hit. So I, I've hired property managers that were friends of mine, just acquaintances, like networking stuff, people that I really liked um, without doing a ton of, oh, due diligence, you know, oh, you, you manage properties. I've got this small property there. Will you manage it for me? Uh, and that, that ends up actually every major mistake I've made in investing is because I trusted someone because they were my friend, not had, and then didn't do large, you know, due diligence on the back end. So, um, you know, in this case, this property manager is an incredible human and I'm glad he's my friend, but this, this, my property is not managed in the way that I, I want it managed. I don't, the attention to, all right, um, the place across the street is getting $200 more in rent. How, what do I need to do in order to achieve that or to achieve closer to that? Like, I need your professional advice as the expert in this market. Um, it, short of getting that, like, I, that is the type of partner I want in a mm -hmm. uh, property manager. The, the ones that have gone really well, you know, we discuss full-on business plans. They also, in both cases of the, really two, the two really good ones, they both own property that's similar to mine, not far from mine. So they're managing their own and they're managing mine. So the chance to really see how does the rubber meet the road on your reporting, on how you look at things, on the decisions you make um, in both, you know, gosh, it goes all the way down the four, all the way up to the 53, you know, help me understand how you deal with this in your portfolio. Um, nothing is more true than how somebody deals with their own stuff, you know? Yeah, and, and I totally agree with what you just said. I just want to kind of uh, recap that little nugget, right? Is finding, finding the property manager that owns a property similar to you is a real game changer, mm -hmm. right? I know that if I'll manage somebody else's property, then I'll treat it like mine. 
but I also know that I have the perspective of an owner and not just a property manager. And that perspective is very, very, very different sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, and is the source of the main challenges everybody's having with property management companies because they look at it as a business of managing instead of business of owning. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a real problem sometimes because they're not always on the same level of, of um, uh, goals. It's not mm -hmm. aligning the goals. Well, and as the asset manager, so in the 53 unit, we, you know, it's a joint venture, but we kind of have a couple of like syndication type things, uh, including uh, an asset management fee. So you said the, the business of owning versus the business of managing. There's also the business of optimizing, you know. So it's my job as the asset manager. And, and once that switch really went on, having managed this 53 unit, asset managed this 53 unit, that's kind of the brain space that I applied to my own portfolio of these, you know, fours and sixes and eights and what have you, that I am, I am in the process of the business of optimizing these and I have to hold accountable and ask for advice where necessary from these third parties, but I am the optimizer. Yeah. So in your size, there's a lot of investors that own properties in the four, six, 10, and 20 that fall into uh, the default of hiring a residential property management company mm. that manages single family versus a commercial property management that knows how to handle the bigger ones. So um, <laughs> what are you, what are you, your philosophy in this? Are you hiring single family management companies or commercial? What is your the Experience. closer to your goals you can get that your property manager aligns with, the closer to your goals you will achieve. For instance, uh, my very first small multi that I took on was near a college town. And I, I realized that, you know, an unfurnished rental managed by a mom and pop would get $400 a door. But if I put the branded, uh, you know, college rental guys on it, then I'm going to get $800 dollars a door. So what is it that you want to do? If, if you want to be, if you've got a fourplex and you have like a, somebody who mostly manages um, single family homes, that could be a good fit. But if you venture into the eight or 12, like that's, that's kind of a full on community with shared space and things like that, that you're likely going to be best served in reaching your goals with aligning with someone who does that. One thing I'll also tell you is, um, you know, I acquired in a market that was poised for incredible growth. The thing didn't happen to, to make that incredible growth happen. However, I didn't really check out in that mistake that I made. Um, the, um, there aren't a lot of property managers that deal in small multis in mm -hmm. that market that I'm in. You know, I should have figured that out before acquiring, getting so intoxicated by the, oh my God, this growth is coming. I've got to buy something quickly. Let's do it. You know? Um, really making sure those third parties are in place if you're going to depend on that they exist and that you've interviewed them before acquisition is a really huge deal. Something that I would tell my former self to make sure I did. Yeah, well, you, you got a really good point. Um, from my experience, managing the 20 to 40, 50 unit is one of the biggest challenges out there because it's too small mm -hmm. to sustain its own full-time personnel like a maintenance guy or a leasing agent but it's too big for the small guys to handle 
with one leasing agent that leases all the single family, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's a very challenging size to manage. And like you said, there's just not a lot of property management that that's their size, that's their niche. Right. right. So for the 53 and for the 47, we're partnering with a group. Like these markets in Indianapolis, you know, our kind of, I guess, good news, bad news is there's not a ton of extra large apartment buildings, you know, like okay. most of them are in the sub 75 range, you know, so the, the partner that we have has, you know, something that's, I don't know, we have a 53, they have, I don't know, it's like 80 or something in that neighborhood, like maybe two miles away. So what we do is we have one of their people that works on that come to our property two days per week. So ultimately, our goal is, you know, put, uh, you know, two or three of those 53 units in a close-ish proximity, then we have one full-time person that can be bought between the three of them. Yeah, that, that's one way to do that. That's a great way if you have a joint venture with someone that owns not so far away. Um, mm -hmm. Another way that we've noticed that people can do is if you have a 20, 30, 40 unit property and across the street or half a mile away, there's 120 or mm -hmm. 200 unit property then find that property management and see if they're willing to take on your little one uh, um, as a little satellite kind of thing. Because you can run everything from one office. You can send the maintenance guys over and just pay for the hours instead mm -hmm. of hiring people that you can't afford on a small property. That's, that's actually a really great hack. So if you are, this is something that I haven't done, but you just gave me a, a brain thought that, you know, maybe somebody listening, if you're acquiring a 20 unit and there's a, there's another apartment building around the corner, go figure out who their property manager is and see if you can use that exact same hack, hack that uh, Joseph talked about, uh, kind of as a proactive type of a thing. Yeah. And, and it's a huge difference in cost of management, right? So mm -hmm. if you're dealing with a company that even if they have their own crew, but they need to send the maintenance guy to your, to your property, then you'll pay for mileage and you'll pay for time for the travel and all that. Versus if he's across the street and he's just crossing the street, you'll just pay for the time he's on your property. Mm -hmm. Right. So it can help a lot with reducing costs as well. First, well, and think about knowledge of the neighborhood, you know. Oh, yeah. Like uh, in terms of like knowing where rents can be pushed, knowing if a, a ratio utility billing thing will work, you know, if you've got the guy around the corner, who's the big dog managing, like, you, you know, your safety and numbers, right? Yeah. And your leasing agent is the same leasing agent. They can mm -hmm. divert people based on the layout, based on the budgets. Uh, market survey happens once, doesn't have, you don't have to pay for the market survey and so on. So there's a lot of value in there. Um, so are your projects are all value add stabilized? What is your preferences? Great question. I've recently changed my mind on this. So, you know, if you if you're coming up in learning multifamily in the last call it five years, the the hotness was uh, everybody's got to do value add. I need a value add, value add, value add. And right now, so my master's degree is in economics, and my, that part of my brain is firing because we are we're pretty hot in the market in terms of acquisitions right now. The one thing we have going for us is super low interest rates. So the way that I choose to look at this is if I can lock in a really long term, low interest rate, non-recourse agency debt from the jump, and then, you know, ride that out all the way through, that is an ideal, that is an asset under itself, into itself, having that long-term debt locked in. So, you know, we previously were looking very value-add heavy, 
But if you have to bridge loan into that, your, you know, your cash flow that you're getting, if we got an eight year interest only term on that 53 unit, eight oh, years wow. of IO, right? That's fantastic. So if what you want is, is cash flow, why not? And another point there too. In the value add underwriting space right now, you're not going to look at an NOI, apply the cap rate, and pay that for a value add asset. You're going to have to pay for the opportunity to hopefully be able to achieve the rents that you think you will, right? Yes. So if I'm paying for like 75% of the upside anyway for the chance to do that heavy lift, why wouldn't I at least consider doing something that's already in place, that's stabilized, you know, and lock yes. in that debt and write it for cash flow from the jump? So. Uh, we are not scared of stabilized assets, and our 53 unit was a stabilized asset. Uh, specifically, it was a reposition. It was a, an assisted living turned into a multifamily. So they filled it up at below market rents, much like you would like a, um, anybody who does like a, a build to rent situation. Least, you you yeah. fill it up. Exactly. You fill it like with under market rents, and then your entire business plan is just bump rents to where they belong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Okay. So speaking of that, um, give us a few ideas because I'm sure you've done quite a few value adds and we usually ask for our guests to give us ideas of what they do to increase income and what they do to decrease expenses. But we take off the easy ones, right? So increasing yeah. rent and rubs is, is the easy ones on the income. Yeah. Uh, what else do you guys do? And I'm really interested to see if you have different kind of ideas on the smaller properties versus the bigger properties that we've seen so far. So I'll tell you my favorite ninja trick of all time. Um, so in the in my very first little baby four unit that I did by a college town, I handed it over to the, the managers that had already branded themselves as uh, you know college rental guys. Well, we charge an upcharge for Wi-Fi. So I pay for the Wi-Fi and they pay me for that. So that, that juices my NOI a little bit, right? Because what college kid isn't going to get Wi-Fi? And Joseph, let me tell you the best part about this. If they're late paying their rent, we turn off the Wi-Fi. And then those kids pay their <laughs> damn rent. You know, That's it's genius. like, that is, that is a ninja trick if I ever heard one. So um, it's, kind of, it's kind of twofold. In terms of um, lessening spend, there's, you know, the, we haven't done a, a lot of stuff that's outside the realm of um, uh, what is common and easy. So I, you know, me adding value in that way, we've just kind of done all the layup stuff. You know, we, uh, I will say too, if you are not doing a pet rent, um, make sure you do a pet deposit that's non-refundable and make sure you're doing a monthly pet rent. Because if you add 10, 15, 20, $25 to your, you know, top line, it doesn't cost you anything really that goes straight to your bottom line. And yeah. that, that can really do some big stuff. Yeah. We actually split the deposit to half of it is refundable. Half of it is non-refundable and there is a pet rent. Yeah, so, so we, we do all of it. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Um, what about retention? Do you guys do anything special around retention of your um, residents? Mm -hmm. So um, during COVID, especially on my small stuff, you know, we offered Visa gift cards if they'd be willing to stay. Um, the you know, if rent was eight hundred dollars, we offered up to four hundred bucks for them to 
you know, continue their lease because gosh, you know, the yeah. keeping your hands around your make readies, like that's your turns. Like that's, that's, that's a lot of the time that I spent on the phone asset managing for the 53 is okay. Well, help me understand why this took that many hours type of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a friend of mine has done, you know, raffles. That's not something I've instituted yet, but, um, you know, your biggest turnover, your biggest, you know, fee, your biggest loss of income is in the turns, especially in college towns in these, these college rentals, because they're a transient group, right? Like mm -hmm. I didn't live anywhere for two years in a row at, in college. So, um, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I don't do student housing. It's kind of like, you can have the perfect property and the top level service and everything is awesome, but they will still leave after a year because they want to try something new. Exactly. Right. Or because their chemistry partner lives over there and they want to go there. Right. It's like mm -hmm. that and the headache of dealing with 19, 20 year old stupid kids. But here was my <laughs> hack on that. I'll tell you. So I chose to only acquire one bedroom units because think about the avatar of the kid who's going to rent a one bedroom apartment in college. It's a yeah. grad student or it's a super bookish kid who wants to be alone and to study, right? So we, we're pretty aggressive in offering um, things to have them stay because those turns really kill us. But like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, instead of getting $400 a month rent, I'm getting $800 a month rent. Like there, there comes a point, a tipping point where it makes sense to maybe try to deal with um, the turnover, but the having one bedrooms like really helps out with the, the headache because of the type of person it attracts. That makes sense. So we, we pride ourselves as, as a podcast to be the one that doesn't sugarcoat things then don't fluff anything. So, uh, cause you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that just show you the rainbows and lollipops. Mm -hmm. Everything is awesome. Everybody that shows up on, on the, on the podcast is super successful and that's great, but that's not life, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit of how we called it earlier, hiccups or challenges mm -hmm. or some even horror stories, if you have any uh, with our audience, just to you know, give them the reality of things mm -hmm. and not just the, the promises that a lot of the groups out there promise. You know, I wanna preface this with you know, my biggest problems, my biggest things to overcome and learning lessons have come um, in, a, in my first fourplex. It's the gift that keeps on giving. But because the property manager is so strong, because the third party is so strong and they do this all the time, um, the headaches that I have personally felt have been minimal. So initially when I acquired this in 2016, uh, we had a, a period that some of them were set up as furnished student rentals and some of them were not. Well, one of the homeboys that was in the non-furnished rental uh, turned out he, um, his uh, extra job was selling drugs. So to, to get him out of there and to make the other residents who were like 19 year old girls and you know what I mean? Like to make them feel and their parents feel warm and fluffy. Like we had to do a lot of, you know, jockeying for position and moving in and moving out. And, you know, a lot of that headache was felt by my property manager for 10% a month. You know, best 10% your friend Mandy has ever paid was uh, over the course of, of that headache. So um, my, my friend Maureen Miles in that, like, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure you know her, but in yes. that 
drug dealing management thing. Like I, I've got to share my favorite of her hacks and I bet you've heard it, but she had a property in Atlanta that was a little troublesome and it was, uh, it was largely the friends coming in that were the, the drug problem. Well, she posted that, you know, we are allowing the um, Atlanta Police Department to train their drug sniffing dogs over the course of the next three months. So she posted this everywhere. And uh, lo and behold, the problems left. So <laughs> another hack for your people. But um, in terms of other issues that I've had, um, that, that, that question mark uh, property manager that I should have vet vetted better, um, in the leases that we agreed upon said that they were said that we were collecting for heat um, a full year and a half under management. I didn't even notice that it was just a six flex. Like it, I took my eye off the ball. I didn't even notice that they weren't charging for heat, even though my mm -hmm. lease said that they were. So, you know, the trust, but verify, thing. And, and if you're playing in this super small, small multis, the four to call it eight neighborhood, um, you know, if you, you gotta do, you, you can't manage what you don't measure in the 50 ish, whatever that neighborhood, you're going to get really good reports and a lot of attention from your property manager and the, the 10 and below, you're going to have to really fight for stuff. So what I would say my hack on that to keep my eye on the ball better, um, there's an app called Stessa. It's assets backwards, S-T-E-S-S-A. Um, it's basically like a mint.com or something that basically pre-populates everything and runs these really elegant reports on uh, your super small multis mm -hmm. that you, I, I, you know, so that I'm managing the manager more appropriately. So if you screw up like I did, uh, do some things, put some things in place so that you are, you are not able to uh, mess up again. Okay, I, I, I got to... I'm sorry, I got to repeat that, that little thing that you were talking about, that $6 fee, right? And help people understand, it's like, oh, it's just six bucks. Well, here's how it ties to our earlier conversation about property management versus ownership, right? Mm -hmm. That six bucks a month is $7.20 a year, right? In terms of 10%. How many mm -hmm. units that property has? My, uh, the one so with the, the six bucks. The, well, it was, they weren't charging for heat. So it was like, no, no, how many units? Yeah, but how many units? It was a six unit, but they weren't charging like $120 per person. So it was $120 per winter month times six okay. units. Okay. Yes. But it's a big problem. Okay. For them, it was $12 per yeah. month, right? Yeah. Times six. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So, yeah. so for, for 60 bucks, it wasn't worth the extra effort of somebody diving deep on their end, making sure mm -hmm. that every little contract uh, uh, fee is being charged, right? Yep. We've hit the same situation, but with $50 fees over 236 units. So for us, it was a much, much bigger loss. Yes. Um, but again, the way we compensate property management companies, it ended up being a loss of about 80 bucks a month for that property management company for the fees they didn't charge. And for us, it meant hundreds of thousands of dollars after cap rate uh, uh, calculations in the property value. Yes. Right. So ownership versus management perspective, this is mm -hmm. where the rubber misses the road really. Yes. Uh, um, is, is that it's just not worth putting the extra effort on their end because they're running a business of management 
and they don't have the perspective of ownership. They don't care what the value of your property is. They just care what they collect and put in the pocket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that little thing you mentioned happens in every little size of property. Mm -hmm. And it's really the main challenge with dealing with third party property management. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and it's, if you can demand a bi-weekly call, a weekly call with a, that your ownership is such that you can demand that call with them, it's easier to keep your eyes on. Like it's not easy, but it's easier than to let it slip if you have a six unit here and a four unit there, you know? So I, I, I you know, it's a free app that I have nothing to do with. So if you've got smaller stuff and you're managing managers, seriously consider putting something in place that you can measure something so you can manage it better. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I want to be conscious of your time. Um, if you could look back to younger Mandy, right? And, you know, let's assume you can, and I, I keep repeating that for everybody, you can't tell her that 2009 is the bottom by everything, okay? <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> what is the best advice you could give yourself? You know, I... Uh... I've started this group, Aspiring Women Achieving More, and it's, it's a lot of super high-performing women. And I, I think largely, especially women, so being one, I'm going to give my advice as a woman, that I, I think that we, more than men even, tend to struggle with um, imposter syndrome type stuff. The, the fear of what if, the needing to feel completely 100% prepared before we take that first step. Um, I would say, you know, Mandy at 19 is the one who got interested in real estate investing. Mandy at 35 is the one who took the first actual step in the direction of financial freedom. That, you know, my advice is to myself that you, you're not going to learn anything or get anywhere until you start taking steps. Do not be afraid of screwing up because you're gonna. Yeah. You know, you gotta take a step, make it metered, Learn all you can learn because, you know, you're going to get to a point that you know all you can know, but until you take that first step, you know, if you see at step 800, this life you want for yourself, you know, you're never going to get there unless you can get from step one to step two. So believe in yourself, take that plunge and the net will appear. Yeah. Well, the people that don't do mistakes is usually the people that don't do anything. Yes. Awesome. That's a great advice. Uh, can you tell our audience where they can find you? Uh, we'll obviously put everything in the show notes, but if they want to reach out to you, if there's a woman that want to join your, your group, or if there's an investor that wants to invest with you, how can they find you? Sure. So the, I have a catch-all website, mandymcallister.com, and on it, you can learn a little more about the women's group, Aspiring Women Achieving More, and my investment firm, Good Fortune Capital. And uh, if you are looking at smaller stuff for your own accounts, and you're interested in knowing exactly how much you need to reach certain levels of financial freedom, check out my blog, because I have a calculator of, that helps you figure out how much you need in order to reach that financial freedom and leave your day job. Oh, that's awesome. We'll definitely link to that calculator. Mandy, I want to say thank you so much for coming up on the show today. It was awesome. It was different than our usual crowd of, of guests, and it was a lot of value out to our listeners. So I really appreciate you coming up. My pleasure, Joseph. Thanks for the invitation. 
Absolutely. And for you, the listeners, if you want to hear more of our podcast, just go to anywhere you subscribe to your podcast, iTunes, Teacher, Amazon, SoundCloud, and so on. And a special request, just give us a feedback. It doesn't matter if you hate us and it's a one star or you love it, it's a five star. Either way, just give us a feedback. That helps a lot. Five stars. Five stars. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to enjoy more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For questions or feedback, please visit our site at www.aptopr.com.